8. Proactively Protecting Public Health in the Delaware River Basin and Beyond. DamascusCitizens.org This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report puts a focus on viewing the planet Mercury. Stephanie Phillips shares comments with Nico Juarez on the topic about beavers for her new segment, Now You Know. From an archived interview with Ed Wesley, we'll hear comments on the importance of preserving the Skinner's Falls Bridge. But first, news headlines from NPR. NPR News, I'm Barbara Klein. New lockdown measures are being imposed in many parts of the world as the Omicron variant drives up global COVID cases. NPR's Jason Bobian reports governments are tightening restrictions, particularly on people who are unvaccinated. China has imposed some of its toughest lockdowns since the initial quarantine of Wuhan in the early days of the pandemic. Hong Kong is essentially banning all foreigners from entering the city. The Philippines has imposed what it's calling granular lockdowns that limit travel in and out of individual hotspots, including right now the capital Manila. That policy also orders people who are unvaccinated to stay at home. This week, Ontario, Canada went back to shutting down schools, museums, gyms, and other businesses. In parts of Europe, gatherings among the unvaccinated are now limited to just two people. And in Germany, patrons now must not only show that they've been immunized, but that they're fully boosted to enter a restaurant or bar. Jason Bobian, NPR News. The Omicron variant and frigid weather are combining to keep frustrated air passengers on the ground. Bill Zebel of member station KERA reports Texas-based Southwest and American Airlines are among the carriers most affected. Southwest and American are two of the nation's biggest carriers, and they ranked among the top 10 airlines with the most canceled flights Friday. That's according to FlightAware.com. Schedules slowed in part because of frigid, stormy weather in the northeast United States. American Airlines says it canceled flights ahead of the snow, anticipating ruptured schedules. And airline employees among all carriers continued calling out sick as Omicron cases surge. Southwest Airlines has offered many employees up to double their pay to work extra shifts. Until that works, or weather calms down, a return to normal airline schedules may remain frozen. I'm Bill Zebel in Dallas. In Washington state, at least one person is missing and presumed dead as snow turned to rain and flooded the Pacific Northwest yesterday. Seattle firefighters have had to free a man trapped in the basement of a mountainside home that slid almost 20 feet off its foundation. Homeowners in the area are being urged to monitor their houses and the condition of the slope. Resident Eberhard Fett says he's been told conditions near the mountain remain a concern. They wouldn't let pedestrians near the thing because of the danger of more slides. Transportation officials say all of the mountain passes that connect western and eastern Washington are closed. 
In Pakistan, at least 21 people have died in freezing temperatures while stranded in their vehicles last night. This is NP. Support comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wall and Popic, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, Stephanie Phillips shares comments with Nico Juarez on her new topic about beavers for the segments Now You Know. From an archived interview with Ed Wesley, we'll hear comments on the importance of preserving the Skinner's Falls Bridge. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk Report. Thank you for joining us for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard and this is Star Talk. Mercury will reach its highest point in the evening sky this week. At its peak, Mercury will be 13 degrees above the horizon at sunset. This will occur tomorrow evening in the southwestern sky. As the closest planet to the sun, Mercury never strays very far from the sun and is always found low on the horizon around sunrise or sunset. The sun's glare may obscure Mercury for the first 15 minutes after sunset. Even with Mercury shining at a magnitude negative 0.3, the last glow of the setting sun may still be bright enough to prevent us from seeing Mercury. All this week, Mercury will be more than 10 degrees above the horizon at sunset. This presents a great opportunity to view Mercury as it should be visible for about one hour after sunset each evening this week. Saturn will be about 4 degrees to Mercury's upper left this week and will be fainter than Mercury. Remembering that Mercury will be the lower and brighter of the two planets will help you avoid confusing one planet for the other. Not only is Mercury the closest planet to the Sun, but it is also the smallest planet in the solar system. It is only slightly larger than Earth's moon and it is smaller than two moons in our solar system. Jupiter's moon Ganymede and Saturn's moon Titan are both larger than the planet Mercury. Look to the southwestern horizon for about one hour after sunset this week to see Mercury. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Good morning. This is Stephanie Phillips giving you a sneak preview of an upcoming Now You Know segment for Farm and Country. I'm speaking today with Nico Juarez from Youngsville. 
Nico likes beavers. He's on a quest to keep folks from killing the furry critters. Nico, what do people have against beavers? I don't think that they have any personal vendetta against the beaver specifically. I've met people who really appreciate beaver and can say, damn it, they're plugging my culvert or they're creating such an issue that now my well water is overflowing and it's overflowing my septic system. So at some point when it starts to become an issue with people's property, you got to protect your property and you got to make sure that you're, you, you have safe drinking water and your septic is, is clean. And so I don't really think that people actually hate them. I just think that we are a very similar species. We just need to learn how to use their smartness and how to live with their smartness and their intelligence with water. Nico, you have a company. NY Beavers Work. NY Beavers Work that mitigates the problems that beavers sometimes cause. Can you just briefly tell us what the philosophy of those solutions is? Sure. The philosophy with flow devices is to help people understand and help people who see the value of the species and see the value that the species creates with the ecosystem. So instead of what we used to do, which was simply remove the beaver entirely, we're learning how to put in flow devices that helps coexist with everybody. This is a little preview of my longer interview with Nico Juarez. I imagine you'll want to hear Nico tell us more about beavers in the coming weeks. Well, thank you, Stephanie, for taking the time to reach out to NewYorkBeaversWork.com and your interest in beavers. This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country. Here is Ed Wesley on the subject of preserving the Skinner's Falls Bridge over the Delaware River that connects Coshecton, New York, to Milanville, Pennsylvania. Ed came to the WJFF studios in January 2020 to record this interview with me. During his years in Milanville, Ed enjoyed canoeing the Delaware River corridor with his lifelong friend Barbara Yaman. He also became active in learning the history of Milanville. Ed was knowledgeable on Milanville's historic district, which dates back to the mid-18th century, with members of the Skinner's family. Ed passed from this life in May and left a spirited legacy committed to preserving the Skinner's Falls Bridge. In the late 1970s, Barbara and I started canoeing up here. I had a friend who worked here for the Park Service, and he said, why don't you come up and spend some time with us and canoe on this part of the Upper Delaware River, where I had never been. And the very first trip that we made, we started at Calicoon, and late in the afternoon, passed under the Milanville Bridge, which was the name it was given when it was incorporated back in 1900. The first bridge that I ever saw on the Upper Delaware River was the Milanville Bridge, and we passed under that and got permission to camp in somebody's yard in Narrowsburg that night and went on down the river. And little did we think on that trip that about four or five years later, 
we'd be living about a mile below that river and Skinner's Falls, one of the pleasures of canoeing under the bridge was to canoe through Skinner's Falls, which is a really nice shelf of rocks that makes a beautiful rapids there, and everybody knows Skinner's Falls. That's why the bridge is called the Skinner's Falls Bridge. But the company that built it, Milton Skinner's company, was called the Milanville Bridge Company, and it was known as the Milanville Bridge, you know, for a long, long time. Well, how did you come to learn about the history of this? Um, in the studio here, you've given me several little pamphlets about the Milanville Historic District. Tell us about what you know about the Milanville Historic District. We had a small farm uh, about a mile south of Milanville on River Road, and it bordered right on the river. We moved there in the early 1980s, and we were there for 30 years until 2013 when we sold the farm. Barbara had to move down to the south for health health reasons. I believe you're speaking of Barbara Yeaman. That's right. We shared a farm about a mile below Skinner's Falls on the Delaware River, We were there exactly 30 years. For years and years, we canoed on the river and had a nature center at our barn and so forth. And I hadn't the least idea about the history of Milanville or the river or the bridge. And it really wasn't available. I think it was in December 2015, PennDOT closed the bridge. It was unsafe. And it stayed closed for almost a year. When they closed it, they said they had no idea or maybe even no interest in reopening the bridge. Vanessa DeGore started a petition drive, and she got thousands and thousands of signatures and emails to PennDOT. You keep mentioning PennDOT. I know that it stands for the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. Yes, and so in early 2016, they said, okay, we'll, we'll fix it. And they eventually reopened it to four-ton traffic, I think, in, in November of 2016. At that point, I had no idea that the bridge had such a storied history or that the little settlement of Milanville did either. So I started digging into some old books a friend of mine had. The Milanville Historic District consists of, I think, about 21, there are about 21 structures. It was created in 1988 through the work of Mary Curtis, who the Curtis family, you know, I don't know how many generations they were in Calicoon. The Curtis Nursery was one of the big businesses there, and Mary knew a lot of the history of the river and whatnot, and she was working for the Park Service and drew the outlines of a historic district that, with 21 structures, including the bridge, four houses that had been owned by the Skinner family, which first came here in the 1750s, the former one-room school, a church, and of these 
20 or 21 structures, 14 of them were so important that they were then and are still now listed on the U.S. National Register of Historic Places. In, in just a small compass, you have an area of houses and structures like that and a beautiful bridge. So that's the Milanville Historic District. I doubt if anyone around Milanville even knows that it's listed as such. It's never been advertised. So that got me interested in the history of the bridge and the Skinner family. And so I just found some old pamphlets that a a very dear neighbor friend of mine who had lived on a farm near Milanville most of her life, and she would loan me these things. I just started reading, and the more I read, the more fascinated I got with it. You just mentioned the year 1750. It's before the American Revolution. It definitely was. But, you know, the problem <laughs> that, <laughs> that goes back to that day was that when the English kings made land grants, you know, in eastern North America, there were no decent maps. And what happened was the grant of what's now Pennsylvania to William Penn overlapped with a grant that was also made to people in Connecticut for land in the latitude of present-day Milanville. And so a Connecticut land company developed, and settlers from Connecticut came over here in the early 1750s, including the Skinner family, who were very prominent in the area, both in building a timber industry and finally in 1900 in building our beautiful bridge. Milton Skinner, who was the great-grandson of Daniel, who lived right by the river. In fact, his old house is still on a knoll looking down on the really one of the most beautiful parts of the Delaware River and the bridge. Milton and one or two of his brothers ran a ferry that crossed from the Milanville shore over to the New York shore where the Skinner's Falls campground is today. They thought, boy, if we could get a bridge here, we'd really have something. So they had to get legislation through the Pennsylvania legislature and also the New York legislature to charter their Milanville Bridge Company. The charter in Pennsylvania was easy, but downriver you had a bridge at Narrowsburg, upriver you had a bridge at Koshekton, and they didn't want a bridge in between. So there was quite a bit of politicking, you might say, and it seems plausible both the Narrowsburg and the Koshekton Bridge are two-lane roadways that cross. Our Milanville Bridge is one lane, which anyone knows who's crossed from Pennsylvania and here's a car coming from New York, you have to wait. It's thought that maybe that was a compromise that they worked out with their opponents from Narrowsburg and Koshekton. Okay, if you'll let us build a bridge, we'll just make it one lane. Anyway, the bridge company was chartered. Work on the bridge began in 1901. It was finished a year later, and it's been there ever since. Built by the American Bridge Company, 
which itself has quite a history. It was founded by the great financier J.P. Morgan in 1900, and a year later incorporated in Andrew Carnegie's U.S. Steel Corporation, known as the American Bridge Company. They went on to build some of the really great structures and great bridges in the world. For example, with a steel fabricating plant that Carnegie built downriver from Pittsburgh, supplying the steel, they built the Empire State Building. And in recent years, the most famous bridge they, the American Bridge Company built is the Verrazano Narrows Bridge down in New York. Anyone has seen that. It's one of the wonders of the world. They built beautiful bridges all over the United States and around the world. They became known for that. And it may very well be that our little Milanville Bridge was the first bridge that this famous American Bridge Company ever built. And it seems to me that historically that would have some great value. If I found a sketch that Pablo Picasso, the artist, made when he was five years old, I bet it would sell for thousands of dollars today. Well, it is the fact that our Milanville Bridge is like one of those very early sketches that a great artist would make. And a tremendous amount of artistry went into that bridge. The trusses, particularly in different light regimes during the day, the way they reflect light are just amazing. I think it's the most beautiful bridge that I've ever used regularly. I wish my feelings were shared by <laughs> by others who just take it for granted. But this bridge is also on the National Register of Historic Places, the National Register of Historic Bridges. Pennsylvania put it on the National Register, so it has renown in the state and renown nationally, but not much in Milanville, unfortunately. We'd like to keep it here. Let me put it this way. This is the second time the bridge has been closed in the last four years. If you think that people want to get involved with preserving this bridge, what would you recommend? I would recommend they support the National Park Service. If you ask the Park Service what's worth preserving, in the Upper Delaware National Scenic River Corridor runs from Sparrowbush almost up to Hancock. And the local Park Service staff decided that the Milanville Bridge is worth preserving that it's very important, I guess in a category they call outstandingly remarkable or whatever you will. And so now, if PennDOT wants a permit from the Army Corps of Engineers or from the Federal Highway Administration to demolish this bridge and build another one, that has to be approved by the Park Service. And the position of the Park Service right now is this bridge has such outstanding qualities historically and scenically that it must be preserved. If you value the bridge, support the Park Service. Why do you think it's important to preserve these local 
places of history, these original structures. Why is that important to the community? One thing I think is true about modern American society, it's more and more rootless. And if you don't have roots in a place, I think you pay a price later in life. And if you don't have structures and landscapes that harken back to other people, to the Skinners who came here, for example, I think you lose a great deal of purchase on life. In the whole 75 miles of the upper Delaware River, I think one of the most beautiful riverscapes and landscapes is right at the Milanville Bridge, above and below it. It's really a beautiful, beautiful area. Tourists should be flocking to see it, particularly in autumn. When the colors change in autumn, you've been there. It's, it's just unspeakably beautiful. If I were a great painter, I'd want to paint that area, and I'd want to paint the bridge. I can only speak for myself, but without roots, I would really be just a prey to all the stuff on the Internet and the social media and stuff like that. Well, that's not a life. The life is to see with your own eyes and your own heart and your own spirit. And how can you do that when everything around it is concrete and so on? You know what I mean? Put a concrete slab across the river there and you've changed forever that entire setting, that that beautiful, beautiful setting. And it's impressive, this knowledge that you have and your love for the Milanville Historic District, the bridge and the community. And I feel honored to sit in the WJFF studios with you and discuss this. Thank you so much for coming here today to share with us what you know. Well, I'm grateful for your interest, especially. That was Ed Wesley on the subject of preserving the Skinner's Falls Bridge over the Delaware River that connects Coshecton, New York, to Milanville, Pennsylvania. Ed came to the WJFF studios in January 2020 to record this interview with me. Many of you listeners are aware that the Skinner's Falls Bridge that connects Coshecton, New York, to Milanville, Pennsylvania, has been closed to vehicle traffic. The Skinner's Falls Bridge dates back to 1902 and is in need of repair. Many folks have participated in the survey conducted by PennDOT, which is considering several options depending on the needs of our community. It is important that your viewpoint be submitted. The deadline for your comments is today, Saturday, January 8th, 2022. For more information and ways to comment, here is the link to use, damascuscitizens.org. Click on the image of the treasured bridge, and remember, your voice matters. Located off McCubbins Road in Beach Lake, Pennsylvania, the Damascus Forest Trail is part of an old-growth forest. There is a large stand of old-growth hemlocks that remind us of the virgin forest that once stood in this area. I have stood under these old trees, surrounded by 360 degrees of softly shaded perennial beauty. Under the hemlocks, There is a rock etched with a poem that I would like to share with you. 
It is written by Inez George Gridley. The poetry of hemlocks is deep and green, secret as hiding places seldom seen. The music of hemlocks, like sounds of the thrush, is sudden and cool in the evening hush. Cathedrals of hemlocks invite the weary. The quiet aisles are sanctuary. These words are signed, Inez George Gridley. that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guest Nico Juarez speaking on the topic of beavers. This has been your host Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org You're listening to Radio Catskill. Public health officials encourage you to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Vaccines are widely available for all adults as well as children age 5 and up. A COVID booster shot is encouraged for teens and adults who got their vaccines at least six months